Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Rabbi Michael Adam Latz, who has been Shir Tikva's senior rabbi since July of 2009. He brings to the congregation boundless energy, heartfelt compassion, and commitment to fostering an authentic and engaging Jewish experience. Previously, he was the founding rabbi of Kohan Neshama in West Seattle. A Wexner fellow during rabbinical school, Rabbi Latz was ordained by Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in 2000. Rabbi Latz, thank you for taking time to talk. Thanks for having me, Rabbi. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So you are, um, so tell us a little bit what the streets of Minneapolis are like right now for you and for others you're in deep relationship with. Sure, thanks Rabbi. Um, so Minneapolis is, uh, streets are like, I imagine many other American streets where um, there are certain neighborhoods um, which have been quiet for the past few weeks um, and where you wouldn't know anything was going on save for a few helicopters overhead. And then more and more neighborhoods in our city have been full of protest and righteous indignation over the murder of George Floyd, Zichrono Livracha, who was uh, murdered um, just a little over a mile from where I live and the intersection where I drive my oldest child to school every day. Um, so for two weeks, there have been growing protests over police brutality and violence against black and brown and indigenous people. And it seems as though this moment has finally catalyzed the work of Black Lives Matter and, and activists of color who have been crying out that they have been treated um, unfairly, unjustly and immorally for many, many years. And I, I don't exactly know why. I'm sure that historians and PhD students will be studying for many years to come why this particular murder in this particular moment um, led to not only the protests here in Minneapolis, but I think as we've seen across the country and around the world, um, we've had several murders of African-Americans by police in the last few years, Jamar Clark, Philando Castile, um, and so we are not, we are no strangers to that here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, but this really galvanized people. And I'm certain that COVID and having been um, staying home for the past several months may have led to it. And the fact that the video was taken and so profoundly grotesque um, and unconscionable. And I would say that um, while for some folks, I believe this change of having a conversation about structural racism, um, what it looks like in policing seems rapid. This has actually been many decades in the making. It reminds me a little bit of working um, several years ago on marriage equality, when people said, wow, this just happened so quickly, when no, 
the rest of us woke up to it, but activists and human rights leaders have been, have been talking about this for decades, for a generation or two. And so um, the streets were loud and raucous. There was certainly some serious damage to building and neighborhoods. I, I hope there will be a deep investigation, Rabbi, into who led that. The protesters I was with, um, I did not see anybody engaging in any way that was violent or destructive. Um, and we know based on some of the, the buildings that were hit and some of their locations that this was strategically done and there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that this was done by people from outside the Twin Cities and likely from white nationalists um, who hit civil institutions of the post office and um, gas stations that were nowhere near 38th in Chicago, which is where the murder took place, um, grocery stores, banks, uh, Walgreens, where people got their prescriptions, um, really destroyed the neighborhood where people of color um, largely live. What's also been remarkable on the streets is the local middle school said we have 85 families have been displaced and we need 85 bags of groceries today. Um, and my family and I went to drop off. Um, it's less than a mile from our home. We had to wait in the car for two hours, Shmuley, because 20,000 bags of groceries were brought. 20,000, it was 14 blocks long. So while on the streets we have seen some of the worst of humanity, we have also seen a number of people rise up and show us the very best of humanity. And the change that has happened is extraordinary. A supermajority of the Minneapolis police uh, Minneapolis um, City Council has said that they will defund and radically re-envision public safety. The police chief right now as we speak, who is himself a black man, has said that he will not negotiate any longer with the police union and give unqualified immunity to police officers. Um, the Minnesota State Legislature is taking up serious bills of, of dramatic police reform and the governor has instructed the state's Human Rights Commission to launch a civil rights investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, that is dramatic and extraordinary change that is happening. And it is because of Black Lives Matter activists, um, Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, MP350, um, and a lot of Jewish allies and Jews of color who have been with those folks on the streets demanding that that this is so profoundly broken, it must change. Yeah. Um, when people are afraid for their lives from the police department, you no longer have an institution of public safety. Wow, amazing, amazing, so well said. So, th so, so uh, that gives a, a really good context of what has happened. And going forward in terms of advocacy and, and change, there is so much that has to happen. I mean, relationship building, community building, grassroots level, education around structural racism, the spiritual empathy work, it goes yep. up and up. But maybe you could speak to one political dynamic. There seems to be a lot of confusion right now around this issue of what needs to happen on a political level, nationally and locally, citywide, around, um, around police. And do we need policy reform? Um, do we need more uh, accountability and transparency? Do we need to defund, disband? And I wonder if you can share a little bit of the pros and cons as to how you're understanding these models and kind of what you hear people on the front lines advocating for. 
So a couple things I'll say, Shmuley, Rabbi, sorry, we're friends. So okay, yes, exactly. it's um, great. Number one, you and I as white men are not in charge. We are normally leaders in our community. And right now we are practicing loyal, authentic followership. Mm -hmm. um, what I know to be true is that every single black and brown and native person I have talked to has said policing as it currently exists is fundamentally broken and that there are communities in my city, neighborhoods who do not call the police when they are in danger. That is a moral travesty. Um, I don't have all the answers for what would make this right. But I, and I have to say a couple weeks ago when people started saying to me, defund the police, I thought it was cockamamie Michigas. I couldn't believe it. And then I did what we're taught to do, Shema Yisrael. I started listening to the people. And over and over and over again, black and brown and native people are saying this isn't working, it's fundamentally broken. And I'm hearing them. And so there's groups like Reclaim the Block in the Twin Cities, Black Visions Leadership Collective, um, MP3 150, MP, 150, sorry, that looks at 150 years of policing here in Minnesota. Extraordinary. And it's understanding how, I didn't know until recently that policing in America was created to return slaves to their slave owners. Now, are there good police around? You bet there. I've got a police officer in my congregation who's a mensch who's trying to change it from the inside. But this is not about a few bad apples. The entire orchard is toxic and broken and must be rethought. So I don't, I don't exactly know all the intricacies, but what I know is that, um, there has to be a different way of offering and to reimagine public safety, to reinvent public safety in this country. And it has to be with a few things. One, there can't be immunity for police officers. Two, um, police officers who have abused people and harmed people cannot be rehired ever again. They have lost trust. Three, in order to gain public trust, public safety institutions have to have the public involved with them. There has to be citizen oversight boards involved with this. Um, I encourage people to go look at M, um, MD 150. It's an extraordinary 35, 36 page report that really looks at reimagining public safety. And the last thing I'll say is that um, Camden, New Jersey, 12 year, eight years ago, 12 years ago, had one of the highest crime rates and murder rates in the nation. They dismantled their police force and reimagined a public safety corps and their crime has gone down, their murder rate has gone down, and public trust has gone up, and it is a substantially less violent place to live. Wow. This is not a failure of solutions. This is a failure of our imagination. And I, as a middle-aged white man, am listening to activists and leaders who are black and brown and native who are saying there must be a different way, because I believe we're part of the same community. And if it's not working for them, it's not working for me. And if their children, if their children are terrified to call the police or to see a police officer, I want my kids to feel as safe as their kids and vice versa. And the fact that they don't, we have to dramatically re-envision what this looks like. And as Jews who have a somewhat complicated relationship here with the police, who have relied on the police at times to help keep us safe in rising anti-Semitism, this is about being in deep relationship with people, being uncomfortable, learning how to be uncomfortable, which by the way, like, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't know anybody who does. 
yuck. But the only way we're going to get through this to build a city, a state, an America in which the core project is our shared human dignity, we have to reimagine this, what public safety looks like. And I want to be led and be part of this process with these brilliant, courageous, visionary leaders. And um, I don't know what it's going to look like. I imagine it's going to be several years of sitting in a lot of discomfort but I have a lot of faith that we can do this better and do right by folks. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting, very well said. So just the last question for you today. Um, what is some Torah or Jewish wisdom that is speaking to you right now uh, that's kind of guiding your leadership and moral deliberation? Um, or or if, if not textual, how is your Jewish identity at all kind of playing into, into, the, into how you're experiencing this moment? Well, you know, because of COVID, I have a very short haircut and my kippah doesn't stay on very much. So <laughs> that's the biggest issue. Um, here's the thing. We Jews love to throw around Genesis 126 that humanity was created, but Salam Elohim, right? <laughs> Either all of humanity is created in God's image or none of us are. And if all of us are, then that has not just nice bumper sticker theology implications. It actually has policy implications for how we organize society. And when society is organized such that we can watch a white man literally choke the life out of an African-American man, we are not living up to that theological and religious ideal. So that's one. Two, um, I think that we have to decide together as Jews, are we a moral movement to transform society as part of our project of human dignity? Or are we a social club because we love kiddish and davening is the necessary evil to get there? I happen to believe that the reason Jews are on this earth is because we are a human dignity project. And so because of that, when my neighbors cry out, right? Like you can't read love thy neighbor as thyself and then watch them be murdered in the streets. We're implicated in that. That's about us. That's about our own humanity. So yes, it's absolutely about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmoud Arbery and Philando Castile and Jamar Clark and Eric Gardner and Sandra Bland. The list goes on, right? It's about them. But this is also about our own humanity. Levinas talks about the, the great phrase um, in which Jacob and Esau reunite after they've been separated about seeing the divine in each other's eyes, right? That can't just be a nice drash on Shabbos. That has to be how we live our lives. And it's up to every Jew. And by the way, it's important to note there, about 20% of Jews are Jews of color. So this is about our family as well. Um, but either we look at black and brown people and native people and see our own humanity in their eyes and vice versa, or we might as well close down the social club and go home because you don't have to bother sitting through two or three hours of davening to get a little kichel and a little scotch, right? It's up to us to be a people of the covenant with the divine, and that is to heal the busted parts of this planet. And right now, one of the most busted parts is the fact that our black and brown and native sisters and brothers are simply asking to breathe. Yeah. The Psalms say the dead do not praise your name. So our job is to choose life and to enable the systems and structures of society to allow everybody to breathe and live freely and with dignity. That's on us. So well said. Um, Rabbi, continue your amazing work, your teaching and your activism and your allyship. And Thanks, guidance. Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi.